Today, I'm going to find out why only 1% of seed candidates make it through the Pioneer Pipeline. Amazing! Let's get started. Hi, welcome to episode 12 of the Corn Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Breckwald, and my guest today is Amy Blonick, head of the Global Population Development Team and the Trait Integration Team. She is going to tell us about the lucky few seeds that make it through the gauntlet and go into a Pioneer bag, as well as the feedback loop from the field back to product development, which allows Pioneer to create seeds that solve specific regional challenges. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I wonder, would it be all right with you if we started by me just having you kind of introduce yourself to our audience, tell us your title and what you do here? Sure. My name is Amy Blonick. I've been with Pioneer for a little over 10 years. And uh, my current role is um, I lead two groups, one that um, works on trade integration, and we can talk a little bit more about what that means, and, and another group that works on um, population development. Now, are you is uh, did you grow up in agriculture, or what? What has been the evolution of you in terms of your exposure to agriculture? Sure. So, I grew up in northern Illinois, um, incredibly close to DeKalb, Illinois, actually. And um, my both my grandparents, both sides of my family, they they both farmed. Um, in addition to other things, welding and you know odds and ends and road commissioner and all that kind of stuff. And my dad was an ag teacher, and so. Um, I grew up with agriculture for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, some of my earliest memories were um, sitting on the tractor with my grandpa, and we'd go and we'd do some cultivation, get some some sweet corn cultivated, and then it was all of my cousins and I job. We'd go out and we'd pick the sweet corn, and and then we'd sell it on Saturdays and Sundays to to people that were leaving church and stuff like that. So, um, long history with with ag. Um, which made me want to be in the in the industry in the mm-hmm. in the field, and so I went to the University of Illinois, and I got a bachelor's and a master's degree there, all under crop science or um, and, and that type of work. So, um, came by me pretty honestly, and and mm-hmm. I've stuck with it. So, well, you must have been in the FFA. Yep, I was definitely in the FFA. I actually, my husband and I we were looking through some pictures, trying to go through you know, just stuff that we have and, and get organized. And I found a bunch of pictures because my dad was the FFA teacher, obviously, uh-huh. or the ag teacher, and, and he ran the FFA. And, uh, you know, everybody in their blue coats and uh-huh. about 20 years ago, which makes you feel really old. But, <laughs> <laughs> yep, I was definitely a part of FFA, 4-H. Um, I showed some beef cows. I had rabbits that, that we would show and, mm-hmm. and, and sell for, for meat and things like that. So Okay. How did you find your way to Pioneer Seeds? I was fresh out of school and looking for jobs. I put in some applications for for some different companies in the industry. Um, put in my application, and the very next morning, it was we were living on the West Coast at that time in, in Washington State. And at 6 a.m., um, I got a call from the hiring manager and said, Hey, I saw your resume, and I want to talk to you about it. I'm up pretty early, but 6 a.m. was was a little early when I was uh, still in college. And anyways, and so we talked through it, and I think I was on a plane about a week later and interviewing here at Pioneer and um, interviewed with a couple other companies. And this was a really, really good fit for not only me, but my family and where we wanted to be. So All right. We ended up here. Okay. 
back close to home. Yeah, not too far. It's about a six-hour drive to my mom and dad's and four hours to, to my husband's. So it's but a lot undoing. closer than Washington State. A lot closer. <laughs> a lot closer. All right. Now, I understand that you're involved in plant breeding. Yes. Okay. So there's, there's a term that I've learned, uh, being in the halls of Pioneer, uh, talking about the art of plant breeding. What is that? The art of plant breeding, I think, is is being able to take this set of of genetics, all of these things, thinking about it like populations of of individuals, and they're all a little bit different. Think about, you know, you, you step into a school and you have kids that are more athletic and kids that are better at math or science. And um, learning how to figure out who does what really well and then get the most out of out of those individuals. That's kind of what plant breeding, I think, is about, too, where... You know, you're evaluating a set of individuals. A big proportion of them can never become commercial products. They have too many, too many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but some portion of them will work really, really well in central Illinois or in, you know, northeast Iowa. And is trying to, you know, figure out who fits where and, and how they're going um, to work out in, in those different locations. I think that's the art of it. So with that in mind, what is what are your day-to-day responsibilities here look like? Um, I, am, I get to work with a fantastic group that is mostly located actually outside of the U.S. So most of what we do has to be done in places where we can grow a lot of cycles during the year. And here in Iowa, we get one big cycle, as, as we all know. Um, but in in different places, more subtropical or tropical locations, we can grow um, three or more cycles per year. And so I get to work with those groups. And um, we take those elite genetics that the breeders send to us, and, and part of our job is to add in those traits that are value-add, whether it's um, iron chlorosis tolerance for a, a new soybean variety or... Um, Herculex or Roundup in, in a corn variety or chrome um, will add in those traits that then provide value to, to our end customer that's on top of that elite genetics that the breeders produced. Very interesting. Value added, that's a term I hear a lot uh, in terms of what you can do with the end products, but you're doing it right here with the corn seed. Absolutely. Yep. So when you're talking about value adding and adding those traits, we're talking about transgenic or biotech traits, is that right? It can be biotech or transgenic traits. It can also be native traits that would help provide tolerance or resistance to diseases or insects. Um, so it can be any number of, of, of things that are value add. Okay. So help us understand how that works. If, if you're going to add value to a, a variety of corn seed, what is the actual process? How does that work? It's, um, I'd like to think that it's more complicated than it is, but it's really not. <laughs> we take, um, you know, we take an, an inbred that has the trait, and we take the inbred that's really elite that performed really well in, in the breeder's trials, and we cross those together. And then we make several um, crosses generation after generation to that, uh, you know, original line that the breeder created. And we end up with this line that looks and acts and performs exactly like the line the breeder created, but it has that value-added trait. And um, it's just done through a series of crosses. And we use, you know, a lot of the technology that I'm sure you guys have, have talked about and heard about with genotyping and all of those things. That just makes our job more efficient and, mm-hmm. and we can do it quicker. Um, but it's, you know, just simple, simple crossing that's been done since... 
I don't know, several thousand years. So. And I was reading through your bio, and I saw in there trait integration listed. So is this what we're talking about now, trait integration? That's right. Okay. Centralized population development and strategies, what does that mean? Wow, that's a complicated title to um, something that, that is um, really, really important and core to what we do. And um, what centralized pollination, uh, sorry, what centralized population development is, is um, we make populations that we're going to send to the breeders. So they will identify, for example, parent one and parent two. Maybe one is really, really good for yield, and the other one has a lot of disease tolerance. They'll make a cross, hoping that out of that cross, they'll get some of those individuals that are really high-yielding and disease-tolerant. Mm-hmm. And um, our job is to make all of those populations, make all those individuals, send them back to the breeders so that then they can go through that process of evaluating them. So complicated title for a pretty simple process, but um, when you think about how how many genetics need to be created to create products globally, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's on a massive scale. What percentage of the time when you're doing those crosses, so you're trying to get the high-yielding, high-disease-resistant plant, the end product, what percentage of the time do you hit the target you're aiming at? You know, the breeders would probably have a better idea than I would, but it's less than 1%. Really? Yep, less than 1% make it to commercial products. So there is a ton of crossing going on to try and... Yes. It's almost a needle in a haystack, it sounds like. It is, yep. And we use some of those, you know, technology tools like markers to help us, you know, make the haystack a lot smaller. And then we do yield trialing, and then we get the stack just a little bit smaller. And so you end up with a few individuals. And um, then it makes it pretty easy to find the needle. Okay. But it takes a lot of work to get to that point. Okay. So uh, I, I come from Idaho. I have a small farm, and I get to talk with people about agriculture all the time. So help a guy like me understand what a marker is. A marker is a... So we all know that um, when you send in, um, you know, one of those swabs for 23andMe. Yeah. You take one of those swabs, you wipe it in your mouth, you send it in, and you um, eventually get back a a report that tells you um, you have... um, these genes that do these things mm-hmm. have seen those commercials where your legs are restless at night or you, well, I don't know, whatever else they have mm-hmm. in those commercials. Um, a marker is just like a little tag that's connected to that gene that tells you, hey, I have this gene. And so in the case of corn, for example, we have a marker that in the simplest terms, if you have a hybrid that has a white cob, versus a hybrid that has a red cob, it just has two different genes. And a marker would be able to tell me, without having to actually grow the plant out and look at it, am I going to end up with a white cob or a red cob? Okay. And that can work for any number of traits. Am I disease tolerant or am I disease susceptible? Do I have Roundup? Do I not have Roundup? So it's just a little flag that tells um, the person that's looking at that data, hey, you have this trait. Okay. Now, another term that I've been hearing... Uh, for a couple days now, and everybody seems very excited about, but I haven't quite grasped, is double haploid efficiency. Okay. What does that mean, and why is everybody so excited about it? Double haploids are, I want you to imagine, you you see the hybrid in the field, and Mm -hmm. that hybrid, you know, is a creation of parent one and parent two, right? Um, That parent is completely inbred. 
which means it would be like having um, every single gene that you have in in your whole body or in the in that whole plant is 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 um, is fixed. So it's not segregating. Some you don't sometimes end up with a white cob and sometimes end up with a red cob. You always get the white cob, for example. Okay. In double and that's traditionally done through crossing and then selfing and selfing and selfing and selfing, which would be the inbred process. And in double haploids, what we do is we're able to make an initial cross. So we have those two parents that have combined, and now you have this population of siblings, let's call them. Mm -hmm. And um, we're able to use some chemical processes, some really neat technology to then basically trick the cells into doubling. So what it does is it says, um, instead of getting a chromosome from your from its mother and its father, it just gets one set of chromosomes from its mom. Okay. And then what we do is we chemically trick the cell into creating two two versions of that, or two two sets of chromosomes, and that creates basically a perfect inbred. So within one generation, you have a perfect inbred that you don't have to go through all of that selfing to create. Um, that, that that perfect um, perfect set of chromosomes that are, that are identical. Okay, and so I think I'm starting to develop the vision here. So uh, once you do that, what is the purpose of that? How is that helping? By creating, so what happens when I am going through that process of selfing individuals or selfing those those lines to get to that inbred? They're still segregating a little bit. And, you know, we're talking about cob color, but it can be for yield, it can be for plant height, it can be for ear height, it can be for disease, um, which just creates more noise when those breeders are trying to evaluate that line and say, how are you going to perform in a commercial product when you are fully inbred? Mm -hmm. When I go through that process of selfing, it takes me several generations and I'm trying to use statistics and use a lot of things to help me get through that noise. But when I use a double haploid, there is no noise. So imagine that all of that white noise goes away, and you can really evaluate that inbred for exactly what it is every time that you test it. Well, let's talk about the bottom line on this then. So what does this mean to farmers and growers? What it means is that um, by going through this process, the breeders don't have to guess anymore at what that noise what noise is being created and how that line is going to perform. So what should happen is the time to create those, um, from the time we create elite genetics until the time that we have a fully tested um, line or hybrid that the farmer is going to grow, that timeline should be shorter. So you should get new genetics faster. New genetics perform better than old genetics. Mm -hmm. And so we should see um, better performance. Um, What we also hope is that we're able to um, get a very, very good understanding of that testing that we did. How is this line going to perform in different environments? So hopefully what we end up with is a, a line that's a lot more consistent across different environments and different years and, and different testing um, schemes. Okay. So as I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm trying to understand the, the benefit to farmers, here's what's in my head. You tell me if this is accurate. Uh, farmers from around one particular region, let's just take Iowa since we're, we're sitting in Iowa right now. 
they're they're experiencing a problem with it could be uh, drought resistance or it could be uh, insect pressure or whatever that may be, and they're saying do something. We need to do something because we're we're losing yield. It's having an impact on our business. Uh, what may have used used to have taken ten years to get them the technology to help solve this problem now takes five. And I know the timelines, I'm just making those up. But am I understanding how this this is a benefit correctly? Yep, that's exactly right. So instead of being 15 years or uh, or more, you know, we're looking at eight to 10 years to turn those new genetics into a real product that a farmer can see. Great. Okay. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit. And I want to ask you about uh, maybe broader concepts. How long have you been with Pioneer? Uh, 10 or 12 years. Okay. And what does that name mean to you? It conjures up so much. I want to know what it means to you. Um, you know, uh, when I first started looking for jobs, I'll be really honest, I, I didn't know much about Pioneer. I mean, I, like I said, I grew up in northern Illinois, which is a very DeKalb-centric um, place in the world. And, um, and I applied for jobs and, and found this, this one. And as I was looking, I started reading about Pioneer and the legacy that was Pioneer. Um, without Henry Wallace and his vision for what um, his company, Pioneer Hybrid, could do, we may or may not have ever had hybrid seed to, to where it is today. Mm-hmm. And that legacy means something to me. I think um, it resonates with, with who I am and, and what you know that, that little trapezoid means, that little green trapezoid. Um, that means a lot to me. It also is more than, you know, just the company that signs my check at the end of the day. Um, it's a community and, and a family. I mean, I have my immediate family and, and then my husband and I's, you know, extended families, but I also have my pioneer family of people that, um, are here when I need them to. And I think that, isn't just for people that get a paycheck from Pioneer. That's also for the farmers that, you know, buy that bag of, of, of seed. And they know that when they buy that bag, their experience doesn't end with sending that check in. They have agronomists and research, and they have, you know, the full breadth of Pioneer kind of sitting behind them. Pioneer, for me, is all of those things wrapped up into, you know, the legacy and the community and the family and and the deeper meaning of of the company. All right. And I think the legacy is fantastic. And certainly you're right. It's meant so much to American agriculture. What about now? It's It's been several years since the founding. There's been development going on for, for 90 years. And here we are in the midst of the corn revolution. So what what is changing now? Uh, what is new? And, and what is the corn revolution all about? For me, the corn revolution was... You know, a chance, maybe our leadership 10 years ago looked and saw where we were heading and said, look, this isn't going to be good enough. We have to change some of the ways that we were doing things if we want to make sure that um, we're going to continue to provide the best value for our customers going forward. And um, I think we had some really, really visionaries leaders that were put into positions to put that plan together. And then um, that plan had you know, dozens, if not more, steps that needed to be taken. And it took time to get all of those pieces and and parts into place. For example, you know, my group, we had to really change uh, how we 
added traits at the end of the day to those elite genetics. Those value-added traits had to be made more quickly and with higher quality and more consistently and, and reliably. So that was um, my part of this revolution, and it took time to, to put all those pieces in place. And what we're seeing today and what we're going to see in the products that go forward from the Pioneer brand is a result of all of that work that has been done over the past 8 to 10 years from that visionary plan that some of those leaders had that, um, you know, we all helped make happen. Why was that new vision needed? I think that when we took a look at where we were and where we had been with such huge, hugely successful products, 3394, and some of those really, really important products, um, there was a different mindset and a different way of thinking about how products should be created. And um, looking at what we needed to do going forward, looking at how, you know, the environment around us is changing and how competitive the industry is, I think that you know, those guys were able to take a step back and see that if we kept going um, with what had been really, really successful, we would still be successful, but we wouldn't be able to deliver what we needed going into, you know, the next age of agriculture, which is where we are today. So is Pioneer playing catch up a little bit? I think that in many ways, Pioneer is, is ahead of the game. I think that um, you know, DeKalb is always going to have great products because they have, you know, fantastic people that are continuing to work at their company, um, just like we do We do here. Mm-hmm. I think that we are ahead of the game in so many technologies and um, how we evaluate products and how we connect to our customers and how we identify where we have products that aren't performing or uh, gaps in in what we need from performance, we have a really, really good feedback channel that helps us identify those things so that we can go back and really create genetics that are going to fill that gap. And I think that um, we do a phenomenal job of that within Pioneer. And I think that that's probably um, on the leading edge of, of a lot of what we're doing. All right. Well, back to the revolution. So when that occurred over the last eight to 10 years, can you give us some specifics on how your job changed, how your day-to-day operation changed? Well, I have a lot more gray hair today because there's a lot. I don't see le- any. You would be surprised if you <laughs> look closely. Thank you, though. Um, no, it's, uh, you know, specifically in our job, like I said, um, in trade integration, we had to get better and faster and more reliable and more consistent with with what um, what we were delivering out of, out of that part of, of the business. And as a result, there's a lot of pressure on our group to deliver and deliver really, really well for for those breeders so that they can evaluate those new genetics with the traits that are eventually going to go to the farmers. And um, I give you an example of the dedication of of some of these teams. So in some of these subtropical locations, it'll rain, excuse me, six or ten inches in, in one single event. And I got a picture um, in the afternoon one day, and I was taking a look at it, and they had gotten so much rain that the the water had backed up in, in greenhouses that we have. And there were six or eight inches of, of water inside of the greenhouses, and there were probably 30, pic- 30 people in the picture that had rolled their jeans up, 
and were wading around in the water to put pots up on on tables and greenhouse and 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 get them up and out of the water in the greenhouse and they did that because um, we put that focus on that consistency that delivery that um, what we do in trade integration has a direct impact on the products that our customer is going to see and I think through the revolution that mindset of customer focus and what we're doing does have a real impact is really, really important and um, really get, got cascaded down through all levels of the organization. And, and um, what we do has a very, very big impact on that. Very interesting. Okay. So delivering traits better, delivering that faster. What did that when when that became your charge when when that is the goal uh, did you with the with the revolution did you receive increased funding for research and development how did pioneer facilitate that what was their commitment to that the commitment was through um one through the the people that were involved so there were you know they we tapped into the expertise that we had all across the company People that had worked in greenhouses their whole lives were giving advice to how to um, more consistently and, and reliably, for example, grow grow crops in some of these subtropical locations. Um, we tapped into people that have statistics and backgrounds in modeling and um, and helping simulate how lines um, would perform or how the, the process that we had put into place would um, would perform and, and what the results should should be expected to be so we had this um, real focus and and a commitment to get us the people that we needed to to make the work happen we had a commitment of of resources so we put in facilities and built infrastructure to help us do our jobs more consistently more reliably and faster um, we had the promise of the business to um, be patient and let those products come out. So when my group gets some of those elite genetics, it takes um, a couple of years to get through that process of making all of those crosses and then deliver that that final um, that final line that the breeders are going to take a look at. And we got the commitment that you know we were in it together for the long term, mm-hmm. and that. Um, we had the time that, that we needed to, to make sure that we could get through the process. Do you think that that part of the stimulus for the revolution was coming from farmers saying, hey, we need something more from you, Pioneer? Absolutely. I think that um, I think that farmers were farmers needed us to deliver elite genetics faster more consistently, more reliably. In order to do that, we have to put the, you know, these value-add traits into the line so that they can be evaluated so we don't have any surprises when we go to deliver that line to the customer. And so I think that it was 100% driven by, by customer need and, and by farmer, um, farmer, farmer needs. And with everything you're telling me that, that Pioneer has done to commit to this revolution since it began... Do you think that the farmers know that that Pioneer heard them and responded? 
I hope so. I mean, I, I look at some of the products that we have out there um, that are available to those farmers, and the performance of those products is is phenomenal. And I hope that they can see that that is um, the products that we're putting out now, this revolution in, in hybrids or varieties is was driven from from the need to do better and and what we started, you know, eight or ten years ago. Well, let me ask you some more about the revolution. So uh, this has been going on eight to ten years as we were talking about it. So is is this year, uh, plant 2019, is this going to be the first emergence of new varieties that are coming out of this revolution? I think that all of the pieces are coming together now. So there has been kind of a slow trickle. I think it's like a pipeline. So you, you know, you turn the spigot on and it starts dripping at first and then it gets a little bit more and a little bit more and eventually the pipeline is full. And we're at the point now that the pipeline is full and the products that are coming out are really the fruition of, of that full revolution that we've been through for the last eight to 10 years. Amy, tell me about your involvement with Chrome. Well, our, my group's responsibility was to deliver those, those traits that make Chrome um, DP414 that, that just got approved. Um, and so we have been working with Chrome for about the last six or so years, um, which is an incredibly important part of the corn revolution is um, really delivering these hybrids in a Chrome platform that's going to really be able to to perform um, up to a standard that I don't think we've seen before in, in the corn rootworm. Interesting. So is this is Chrome an example of what we've been talking about in terms of a response to needs from farmers and then also the ability to get it back to them at a more rapid pace than what we used to be able to do? Absolutely. Chrome is an example of value add traits where we're gonna have we have refuge in a bag, which makes the complexity on the farmer um, much, much, uh, much, much less. So he has a simpler um, job when he's out planting. It provides, you know, resistance to insects, both above ground and below ground for those customers where that's a a very important set of traits to have. It provides them with um, herbicide tolerance so they can go out and they can spray the herbicide of of their choice. Um, All of those things coming together, being able to deliver that in one package to our customers is going to provide them a ton of value as as we deliver that in really, really elite genetics that, that perform really well. Okay. So what does Chrome do? Chrome protects um, protects a hybrid against corn rootworm. So there are two modes of action, which means if you have two different ways to kill the bugs. So we have two different ways to kill corn rootworms. We have two different ways to kill um, lepidopterans, up, so caterpillars and earworms, um, corn borers, things that are in that family. You have two different herbicides that you can use. Uh, again, depending upon what works best in 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 the farmer's operation, and um, all of those things that get put together into that final chrome package, then provide the farmer with a hybrid that has really really high performing genetics, and then has protection from each of those insects um, and and weeds um, in the bag. And it sounds to me like it's making the farmer's management decisions and their job overall easier. It's much simpler. Um, Chrome also allows Pioneer to access all of its genetics. 
So there are many, many different trait combinations that are available in the marketplace. Um, Chrome is the only one that allows us to really, really tap into all of the genetic potential that exists in, in those elite genetics that come out of Pioneer. Well, Amy, thank you very much for joining, joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. You're a wealth of information. I'm happy to be here. Appreciate it. Well, that's today's show. Next week on episode 13, my guest will be Matt Smalley, North America Corn Breeding Group team lead. We'll get a big picture look at the corn revolution and why it can only come from Pioneer. Be sure to listen in. To subscribe to the Corn Revolution podcast, just go to cornrevolution.com and choose your preferred podcast service. See you next time. Pioneer brand Chrome products is discussed in this episode. Registrations, trademarks, and service marks are trademarks and service marks of DuPont, Dow AgriSciences, or Pioneer, and their affiliated companies or their respective owners. Pioneer brand products are provided subject to the terms and conditions of purchase, which are part of the labeling and purchase documents. Chrome products are approved for cultivation in the U.S. and Canada. They have also received approval in a number of importing countries, most recently China. For additional information about the status of regulatory authorizations, visit www.biotradestatus.com. Roundup Ready Technology and Herculex Insect Protection are also discussed in this episode. AgriSure is a registered trademark of and used under license from a Syngenta Group company. AgriSure Technology Incorporated into these seeds is commercialized under a license from Syngenta Crop Protection Ag. Herculex Extra Insect Protection Technology by Dow AgriSciences and Pioneer Hybrid. Herculex and the HX logo are registered trademarks of Dow AgriSciences LLC. YieldGuard, the YieldGuard Corn Borer Design and Roundup Ready are registered trademarks used under license from Monsanto Company. Liberty Link and the Water Droplet Design are trademarks of Bayer.